You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with uh, Imam Asan Maksud and myself, Ali Ahmed. The time is... Uh, uh, two, well, it's approaching uh, three minutes past seven, and it's Friday, the third of February, twenty twenty-three. We have a very much uh, a packed program this morning on the breakfast show, as usual. Uh, we'll be uh, kicking off with uh, the weather in a few minutes, and then uh, looking at some of the news stories that are doing the rounds these days, with uh, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and also uh, externally on the wider media both on our uh, TV screens, uh, newspapers, and radio. Uh, as uh, most people who are familiar with this broadcast would uh, know, we do hone in on two particular stories and deal with them in uh, greater depth. Uh, the same is uh, the case today. We've been looking first and foremost on uh, this story that caught our eyes about the all-inclusive policy of one of our major organizations, uh, British Airways no less, uh, and their clothing standards. Um, so the title of this particular story that we are going to be uh, addressing first when the time comes around 7.30 is uh, British Airways unveils new uniform, including hijab. Uh, so that's the title of this subject, and we'll be exploring this topic with author, blogger, and journalist Maruch Arif. Uh, we'll also be talking to an expert in the fashion industry. Uh, that's Deborah Latouche, an established stylist, journalist and designer who has been working in the fashion industry since graduating from London College of Fashion. So that's between 7.30 to 8.15. We may uh, lengthen that a, a bit, but around uh, that time, is when we'll be uh, covering this particular subject. So if you're interested in it, do please make sure you remain tuned until then. Uh, moving on to the second of our main topics, I mean, somewhat a philosophical one. It's about mood, and in particular how your mood affects the way you process language. So that's the title of this subject, um, how your mood affects the way you process language. Um, we spoke... Um, uh, we hope to be speaking to Khalid Safir if he's available, but otherwise we hope to be um, uh, receiving calls on this. Uh, so do feel free to ring in if you have anything to say on that particular subject or indeed on any of the subjects that we'll be covering. 0208-687-7878 is the number, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, so clearly there's lots to cover, lots to do, and we shall have uh, a full review of the Islamic angle as well. We have um, uh, two imams with us, uh, Imam Toki Samir and Imam Asin Maksud, who will be lending us their expertise uh, from as far as the Islamic angle is concerned regarding this uh, and the various subjects that we will be covering. Um, so... Um, uh, uh, let me just uh, begin before bringing in uh, our imams. Let me just cover the weather. The weather outlook, according to the BBC, uh, is that today uh, will be rather cloudy across the north with spells of light rain, especially in uh, northwest Scotland and the Northern Isles. 
otherwise elsewhere it will be fairly cloudy and dry, staying mild. Uh, in the evening, uh, the forecasters are predicting uh, the following. Tonight will be generally dry for most, although there will be a few lingering showers in the far north. In the south and east, there will be clear spells at first, but the cloud will bring uh, will build overnight. So that's the forecast. And uh, uh, let me just... Um, I'm bringing Islam Alaikum, Imam Tabitha. How are you? Wa Alaikum Salaam, How are you doing this morning? Alhamdulillah. Weather is better, isn't it? It's not so cold anymore. Weather's looking very, very good. Um, no ice on the on on the cars when you get up in the morning. Now. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And uh, even coming into um, the the whole uh, Battle of Two complex, the you know Battle of Two meaning House of Victories, you can see the the lighting. Has been uh, put up now, and mm. it's, it's looking looking very nice. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, looking for the opening uh, very soon. Very and soon, yeah, very yeah, soon. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting to see as well. Um, I was just with the mom uh, Asan Maksud as well a few mm. weeks back, and we were just admiring uh, the the Tahir Hall um, here as well. Mm. Uh, you know, they've put in such a good flooring, mm. um, and. Uh, you know the uh, the community has also uh, arranged for various activities such as basketball, volleyball, table tennis, and uh, we were just admiring that you know how mm. uh, how how uh, well it's it's all been set up by the grace of Allah the Almighty. Mm. Um, Surprising that everything is funded by members of the community. There's no external source that we actually resort to. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yes, that's uh, that's remarkable. I think um, the whole refurbishment has cost more than twenty million pounds, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all been generated by by the grace of God, mm-hmm. by members themselves. Members themselves, absolutely. Um, so we just wanted to start off this news round, and uh, I'll pass the mic on to Imam Asan Maksud. He has some news with regards mm. to the Amdiya Muslim community that he has uh, prepared. So uh, without further ado, over to you, Imam Asan Maksud. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Good morning to everyone. I hope all the listeners are doing well. So I've got a few news reports from around the world of the Ahmadiyya community. Uh, starting of course with the latest virtual meeting with His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad. May Allah be his helper. So uh, last Sunday the Ansar, the male members over 40 of the community in Norway, met His Holiness virtually and they were gathered at the Bethel Nasser complex in Oslo which is also the headquarter of the community in Norway and during the meeting His Holiness gave uh, very comprehensive and thorough answers to questions asked by members of the community and here I would like to mention a couple of very interesting questions asked by some members uh, one member stated that um, Ahmadis have recently been martyred in, by terrorists in Burkina Faso following similar opposition to the Ahmadiyya community in Pakistan, India and Algeria. And he asked His Holiness if this opposition may escalate in other countries given the progress of Islam Ahmadiyyat and what measures should be taken to safeguard the community from these dangers. And to this His Holiness said that as the community spreads so does the envy against it. So to protect ourselves from the malicious and deceitful individuals, Allah has already taught us the prayers mentioned in the last three chapters of the Holy Quran. Uh, 
and His Holiness explained that this is how followers of prophets have always been treated. As the community of a prophet grows, so does, does the number of envious people, and they act cruelly whenever given the opportunity. And this is how they also behaved towards the Ahmadiyya community. His Holiness further explained that uh, in recent times, some clerics in India have attempted to cause unrest against the community. And similarly in Africa, as the community expands, envious individuals are trying to create chaos and disturbance. And His Holiness said that these individuals believe they will succeed, but a steadfast Ahmadi's faith is not swayed by such actions. And this was exemplified by the recent martyrs in Bukina Faso who upheld their faith in Islam Ahmadiyyat even unto death. Alluding to Europe, His Holiness stated that atheism was on the rise and a campaign against religion was underway. His Holiness added that we must also confront atheism. He warned that in some countries of Europe, Opposition to Ahmadiyyat might emerge as it gains traction. His Holiness said that opponents of religion in general, including atheists or opponents of Islam, will band together to form a unified front against Ahmadiyyat. This opposition may emerge even in some European countries as Ahmadiyyat continues to spread and gain ground. And to overcome these challenges, His Holiness advised that uh, we should pray, give charity, and seek refuge in Allah. Another very interesting question asked was that after marriage, one is often encouraged to move out of parents' house and become accustomed to living independently. However, when parents reach old age and need care, some may find it challenging if their home is small. He asked His Holiness for advice on how to care for elderly parents in such a situation. His Holiness said that in Western cultures, it is common for people to place their elderly parents in nursing homes and only visit them occasionally. This contrasts with our religious teachings, which emphasize the importance of caring for one's parents. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stressed the obligation to look after one's parents as a central requirement. His Holiness reinforced this message, uh, declaring that taking care of one's parents is a duty that is grounded in the principle of ethics and faith. His Holiness added that uh, parents should also raise their children in such a way that when they are older, the children will take care of them in their old age while praying that they may never require such care. His Holiness also said that one should attend the, to the needs of elders as a means of seeking divine favor and God's grace. So caring for one's parents is a fundamental teaching of the Holy Quran and His Holiness has advised us that we should always attend the needs of our elders and also pray for them. During this meeting, various other questions were asked. A detailed report can be read at alhakam.com and Highlights will also be available in the MTA program this week with Hazur. Now moving on to other news reports from the community around the world. Starting with East Africa, the community in, in Kenya held a gathering for over 40 men, which are, are called Ansar, for three days. 
and during which there were a lot of different activities like academic competitions, sports competitions, and different kind of presentations on various topics. And the gathering was hugely successful where the attendance was also very good. Uh, moving to West Africa, the next news report is from Liberia. The community there was able to repair and install 49 water pumps in different regions of the country under IAAAE, which is the International Association of Ahmadi Architects and Engineers. And these water pumps were also installed at places where no members of the community reside. And the whole funding was of course done by the community itself, with the only objective of bringing clean drinking water to the people of Africa. I also have a news report from Canada. The community in Canada recently launched a nationwide Explore Islam exhibition taking place in 1,000 towns all over the country. And the objective is to show residents of each town the peaceful message of Islam. And recently one such Explore Islam exhibition was organized in Barrie, South Ontario, which was attended by the mayor and his councillors as well as local residents and the guests received a tour of the mosque and also received gifts which included some literature about Islam Ahmadiyyat. So these are a few latest news reports of the community from around the world. You, you know Brother Walid, the, mm. uh, the reason why Imam Asan Maksud is so good at uh, doing the news hour mm. is because he because he's currently serving in the Al Fazl International ah. Department. So on a daily basis, he deals with news. Mm-hmm. So you know, I thought who better to do the news uh, of the community than uh, yes, Imam Asan Maksud? Very good idea. Yes, okay. <laughs> because he he not only does he have a news with regards to this week with Azur, but he also has many other news which is happening with regards to the community around the world. Um, I just just one. Uh, also, I wanted to just uh, mention one other mm-hmm. news like this as well. You mentioned this week with Hazur, um, and uh, also uh, just last week, um, His Holiness also held a virtual uh, educational online class with the Ahmadiyya Muslim Girls Association uh, from Germany, aged ten to twelve. Um, and one such particular question which was asked here, I mean, we will be covering this later on anyway on the subject of Islamic world, but uh, a girl also mentioned to his holiness that some of the non-Muslim girls in her class do not like her wearing the headscarf and do not befriend her because of it. And she asked for advice on how to respond to them. Um, so this is a very important question in his holiness. He said that, and I quote, that you should tell them that everyone has their own preferences and even if you leave religion aside, you can be of any faith or no faith. Despite that, you may choose, you may make choices about your clothing and you ch- and you choose to wear what you like, such as a dress or a mini skirt. You do not, uh, you do so because you prefer that piece of clothing. Similarly, a headscarf is something I wish to wear, and so I wear it, and that is not something you should object to. They must be girls of similar age to you, and so try to explain to them that uh, they wear what they like, and also you wear what you prefer. And furthermore, he said, he elaborated that, ask them if we are living our lives as we each prefer then what is the need to argue and quarrel over such things? Remind them that we are all human beings and so we should live amicably with one another. 
Rather than fretting over the ways others dress, we should consider how pure we are in our hearts and whether we are caring for one another and respecting each other's sentiments. We should see how we can better serve one another. These are the things that truly matter. Otherwise, wearing the headscarf or not wearing it is of secondary importance. So tell them to focus upon human values and tell them that you believe in Islam and so when you grow older that you will wear a headscarf and will adhere to modest dress. So a very uh, beautiful answer His Holiness gave to that. Um, I, I just wanted to mention mm. that as well. No, thank you very much. So it's a case of not having an inferiority complex over, over these kind of uh, matters and to assert the individuality, isn't it? Um, and we'll be discussing more about the hijab later on in the course of this program because one of the main items is to do with that. Um, so that's going to be in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, just want to c- cover one or two stories that um, have caught my eye uh, as far as the wider media is concerned. Um, in On the political front, um, the big news uh, that emerged early this week was um, uh, Zahawi's ex- exit. Uh, this is uh, the exit of um, the Tory chairman, uh, the Tory party chairman, uh, Nadim Zahawi, after the uh, advisor that was appointed to look into his affairs uh, by the Prime Minister had concluded that he had breached uh, the ministerial code uh, and it left the Prime Minister no choice but to sack him immediately. Uh, swift action, some would say, uh, but the opposition are saying that he was, uh, the Prime Minister was not swift enough but should have, um, should never have appointed him in the first place because news of his tax improprieties had been circulating before that and some say it was the reason that Mr. Zahavi had withdrawn from the leadership race in the autumn. Now, attention is being focused on Dominic Raab, uh, the Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister. He's being accused of bullying and intimidation of officials. And Adam Tolley, Casey, uh, has been appointed to investigate complaints against him. Uh, Tolley's investigation is expected to take uh, several more weeks after dozens of civil servants came forward. His report will once again test the uh, Prime Minister's resolve of uh, taking whatever steps are necessary to restore the integrity back into politics. That uh, is what he said uh, that he would do. So it's uh, it's a dramatic change uh, that uh, seems to have um, emerged after what was uh, a landslide victory for the Tory party back in 2019. Uh, it just goes to show how a couple of years make a, such a big difference uh, as far as public opinion is concerned uh, regarding their uh, uh, their leanings to one party or another. Uh, now, when you look at the polls, uh, the uh, Tories seem to be lagging behind very much so against um, as far as the opposition parties are concerned. Uh, but uh, the election is still... Uh, a good year and a half away, so we'll see how uh, they they fare later on uh, during the course of um, this term. Um, uh, what uh, uh, else is there on the, as far as um, the news is concerned? Well, one item that um, uh, caught my attention was uh, about food and tax on food. Uh, we've been accustomed to be paying a sugar tax on food that has uh, a high content of sugar, especially, you know, fizzy drinks. Um, 
and it's all an effort to improve our health. Now, there is a prospect of imposing tax on ultra-processed foods, UPFs they are for short. Uh, this includes breakfast cereals and ready-made meals, and authors of a recent study are calling for tax similar to that uh, as mentioned on, on physics. And the study was carried out by the Imperial College uh, London, and it looked at the eating habits of um, 200,000 uh, middle-aged uh, Britons over 10 years, a very, very big sample. Uh, and they found that those who consumed large amounts of ultra-processed food uh, were more likely to die from cancer than otherwise. Researchers found that, uh, I hope this is not putting you off uh, from your breakfast, if you're having cereals, that is. But uh, researchers found that for every 10% increase in the, popula- uh, in the proportion of UPFs in an individual's diet, raised the chance of developing cancer by 2%, uh, and the likelihood of dying from cancer by 6%. And the risk was highest for ovarian cancer with every 10% increase in UPFs linked with a 30% increase to uh, risk of death. Uh, First uh, author of the study, uh, Kiera Chang, called for new measures to tackle the exceptionally high and concerning amount of UPFs. The study was uh, published in eClinical Medicine and was funded by Cancer Research UK and the World Cancer Research Fund. Malcolm Clark, of the Senior Prevention Policy Manager of, uh, at uh, Cancer Research UK, said uh, that around 22,800 cancer cases are linked to excess weight and obesity each year in the UK. We urge the UK government to take more action to help people make healthy changes. This is not the time to delay restrictions on junk food uh, and junk food advertising and multi-buy deals. So that's uh, another warning for for us. Um, right, moving on to one other story, and uh, this is regarding immigration, something that uh, is a hot topic and uh, one which uh, divides opinion in the UK. Uh, Many believe that one of the main issues concerning Brexit and why uh, Brexit was, uh, in fact, voted for uh, in greater numbers was because of the uh, issue regarding, um, regarding immigration. So there's a big consistency in the UK that very much wants a reduction in immigration. We may say... Uh, you know, are oblivious to the benefits that they bring. And among the steps being taken uh, by the Home Secretary is to limit such immigration uh, and bring in more stringent uh, measures being applied to prospective students. Uh, And that uh, has been fueled by recent comments from the Home Secretary saying that there are too many international students and dependents in the UK. And even that... Uh, this number uh, should be limited. International students face strict and uh, strict visa tax now, and most must be able to prove their financial status to be uh, able to come to this country. Uh, for example, an international student bringing a spouse and two children under the age of 18 would now need to evidence in excess of £30,500 just in order to apply. This figure is at the lower end of the spectrum with uh, those looking to study for longer 
or live in London or bringing significantly more dependents able to evidence tens of thousands more before making an application to come to the UK. So this, uh, in some quarters, may limit immigration, but it doesn't bode well uh, in other ways. Uh, Vivian Stern uh, Vivian Stern is the CEO of Universities UK. She's supposed to have uh, said that the fact that so many, and I'm quoting here, the fact that so many international students choose to study in the UK is a real success story. And the UK benefits in many ways from hosting them. Uh, international students contribute to the UK's global connections in trade, politics, and in research, and they make an enormous economic contribution too. She went on to say, for government focus on growth to try to reduce the appeal to international students would be bizarre, especially when you consider that they contribute nearly £26 billion to the UK economy and that this is spread throughout all parts of the UK. It is even more bizarre when recent growth in the international student numbers has been a direct result of pro-growth government policies and visa changes. And uh, she goes on to say that we strongly urge the government to take, um, not to um, to reconsider and not to take such a retrograde step as it has in suggesting that they are going to limit the number of people who are coming here for study, coming into the country. And one final story, because we've still got a couple of minutes left as far as this part of the uh, the segment is concerned. It's about um, air pollution. It's still a hazard. Uh, the Stove Industry Alliance estimates that um, 1.5 million people use solid fuel uh, secondary heating appliances, including open fires and stoves. In other words, they're, they're basically burning uh, uh, wood. Uh, and this uh, is very much uh, said to be a pollution hazard. So plans are afoot to clamp down uh, um, on this uh, kind of burning because of the pollution it creates. And there is what is called Ella's Law, and it imposes uh, a right to clean air. Uh, wood burning in homes has overtaken traffic as a source of uh, a certain kind of pollution linked to heart and lung uh, lung problems. Up to 38,000 people die prematurely in England every year because of dirty air. So that's uh, another initiative that is on the horizon, that there will be um, some kind of um, uh, law being uh, enacted that will prevent uh, this um, kind of burning, uh, the burning of wood because of the pollution it creates and the resultant um, the uh, resultant uh, deaths that uh, that ensue uh, because of it, uh, due to heart and lung problems. So uh, we are marching very uh, quickly to 7.30. 7.30 is the line that we've drawn as far as uh, ending this particular part of the program is concerned. Do we need to discuss football? Uh, we've got half a minute. Uh, do, do you have any more jokes that you <laughs> usually mention? <laughs> uh, yes, my I didn't think that my jokes went well yesterday. So, no, no, I mean, no. Sorry, last week, so I thought that I'd uh, no, keep no, them we, uh, I really enjoyed them. <laughs> oh, okay. Very satisfactory. Well, so that, that was one, wasn't it? Uh, uh, a joke about 
Uh, no, I forget what he was now. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that was one of the jokes. Okay, so maybe next time then. So I'm glad you're missing it. So we'll have a couple of jokes next time. Uh, how's, uh, anyways, how, in terms of football, um, uh, what's, what's your review? What's, what's your thoughts? Well, um, uh, one of the stories that is emerging is regarding the spending that uh, Chelsea have mm. uh, uh, been engaged in. A lot of spending, mm -hmm. but they still seem to be uh, tense in the table. Mm. And a club that hasn't spent uh, that much, Arsenal, are uh, very much uh, leading the uh, leading the Premiership uh, and doing and are pr probably going to stay stay there. Um, so that's uh, that's a big story, mm. isn't it? The, yeah. the, that it's not just money that's important; it's uh, perhaps how you use it. So, uh, what, what's your take? Do you think uh, they will stay uh, on top till the end? Uh, I mean, I think it depends. But usually, uh, if someone has a good start, what we usually see is that they they just do, uh, you know, keep that lead throughout. Um, but uh, but let's see. I, I think it depends on the tactics of the manager. Hmm. Uh, yes, yes, to to right, yes. Uh, and it's it's amazing what a change in managership can can deliver at times, um, but um, uh, with Arsenal doing so well, it just goes to show that money is not everything. Uh, mm. There's millions being spent. Yeah. I mentioned Chelsea, but uh, Manchester City are uh, are a club notorious for the way that they spend. So well, we'll see. And uh, Newcastle are also coming. I mean, uh, because of the. Uh, the investment that is going to be made. Uh, um, the money. Yes, it's the money. And it's unfortunate, isn't it, that um, um, it is about money rather than uh, about uh, how you use limited resources mm. uh, to get the best out of what you have at your disposal. Um, so um, this particular uh, story now that we're going to be addressing is about um, British Airways unveils new uniform, including hijab. Uh, something that we picked up from the GOTV latest. And um, British Airways has released its fresh uniform line, uh, first in nearly 20 years, which includes tunic and hijab options for women. And the collection was designed by fashion designer and tailor Oswald Boateng and offers women's dresses, skirts, trousers, hijab and jumpsuit options. Uh, more than 30,000 of the airline's engineers, cabin crew, pilots and check-in personnel will start donning it uh, in the spring of this year. Chief Executive Officer of uh, British Airways, Sean Doyle, said, Our uniform is an iconic representation of our brand, something that will carry us into our future, representing the very best of modern Britain and helping us deliver a great British original service for our customers. Uh, in order to understand how the uniform needs to perform for each profession while preserving a modern British style appearance, Boateng, who has been working on the collection since 2018, shadowed a range of airport roles, um, according to Arab News. Designing this uniform was a vast and painstaking undertaking and went far beyond clothes. It was about creating an energetic shift uh, internally. So this is what uh, was said by uh, the outlet, by a spokesman, no doubt, a spokesperson, should I say. Um, one of the um, many objectives was to create something that spoke to 
and for the airline's colleagues, something that inspired and empowered them, encouraged them to conduct their roles and pride, and most importantly, to ensure that they felt seen and heard. So that's one of the quotes also that uh, uh, illustrates the the thinking behind this uh, new range. And another quote uh, by by Boateng reads, although the airline has a strong heritage, it was imperative to support in creating a fresh narrative of change and transcendence while remaining timelessness or timeliness. Um, as the airline staff receives their new uniforms, their old ones will be recycled to become toys, tablet holders, and other objects, some of which will be on exhibit in the museum or donated to charitable organizations. So very much uh, trying to keep up with um, the, the trends that uh, are current uh, especially about uh, conservation and uh, ensuring that uh, uh, recycling is, is maintained and there isn't uh, the kind of waste that uh, we are unfortunately uh, guilty of uh, many times. We are going to be speaking to a couple of ac- uh, experts. Uh, Maruch Araf is one uh, and uh, also Deborah Latouche, a fashion designer, will also be ho- uh, we also be hoping to, to uh, speak, to, you know, to talk to her uh, about uh, about this uh, this uh, this particular news story, and uh, my uh, prompt has just come in regarding uh, Maru Haru. She is in fact with us. Thank you very much uh, for joining us on the breakfast show, Maru. Assalamu alaikum. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, thank you very much for for joining uh, for joining us on the breakfast show, Maruka. Uh, if you don't mind, I just want to read a short introduction that uh, describes you. You're a writer, blogger with a previous experience in journalism, author of the English book Ahmadis and Muslim Identity in, Di- in Diaspora. Um, so, uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, coming on. Um, how uh, how has the wearing the veil changed in the last century? So, um, from my experience, uh, because I'm from France, of course, I, I, I would imagine it's um, very different from every other country. Um, in France, it's, um, it, it's, it has been, it hasn't, it has changed a lot in, in terms of because there's a legislation that uh, doesn't allow you to wear your veil uh, in schools. So, it has been quite restrictive. Um, but now that I've moved to the UK, um, um, it has changed quite a lot. I mean, before it wasn't an issue at all. And uh, in the in the 90s and 20, uh, 20,000 in France, it became uh, more of a political issue, political and social issue. Mm. So that's when the restriction sort of came in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find uh, the, the different attitude that... Uh, uh, is uh, expressed in Britain uh, a dramatic uh, difference, uh, uh, a refreshing difference to what is exp- what you experience in France. Oh yes, yes, it's uh, it's it's day and night. Uh-huh. Uh, for example, um, <clears throat> in France, you cannot. It's a constant political debate. You see it in every sort of uh, political election. That's one of the main themes. 
whereas here it has no significance sort of like it doesn't hinder you from doing anything um for a job interview also uh, i remember when i moved here i went to a job interview here and i was very stressed about whether i should wear my hijab to the job interview or not but then i realized that this is not france and you know here it it doesn't really matter what whatever you wear you can just go and um, nobody will judge you for it whereas in france they would not even um accept you for the job interview and let alone give you the job mm-hmm. um why why do you think there is this difference why is france so conservative when it comes to these kind of issues um because france believe in a sort of secularism um which was not at all what it has become today but um so there's this perception that religion should be separated from the state but in a way that it makes everybody neutral um in the public sphere uh in the public space sorry um but there is a problem uh when this applies because it it sort of feels that it only applies to muslim women um and it doesn't apply to other religions mm. Assalamu alaikum thank you for joining us this morning Maru Arafteyeb um I I mean you were mentioning that uh, you know you've seen a huge difference between France and then the UK uh, you mentioned that in France this is an issue which is discussed daily in uh, media outlets and uh, you know even at the political level my my question here is that do you think that you know it's sort of affects people as well for example people who are daily tuning into the newspapers who probably don't know that much about Islam or the veil uh, just by reading um, the discussion or some of the negative comments it sort of directs them towards that negativity yes so there's a um, there's a lack of of education really um there's some some portion of the population of course you know will always know that this is quite political uh, and they're quite tired of it but um most of the people and that's when it becomes very um painful it's most of the women they believe that um the veil is something that is regressive thank you and what does the veil and the word parda mean to you if you could please explain um for me it's a sort of uh, personally i think if you, if you follow the holy quran quite clearly it's a form of empowerment um exactly what it sort of um wants to give to women so um i believe that before the veil women were not um as you know they were empowered but the veil gives them a sort of um more um they give them control of their own body they give them control of their own choices and they give them a sort of a sense of um they give them a sense of control of what they want to um, sort of uh, show to the world so for example it it gives us the gives you the possibility gives women the possibility to show the world that you know you cannot define me by the external by my externalities by but rather by my intelligence and by my wisdom and it's the complete opposite of what the world has become today so when you see the condition of women today they're they're completely judged by 
their externalities before their, you know, brain and mm. intelligence. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the veil for me empowers us in the sense of, in the sense that it gives a clear message that, you know, um, this woman would not be judged by her externalities. Thank you for that. Uh, my colleague here, uh, we have Imam Asan Maksudi, he also has a question he wanted to ask you. Assalamualaikum uh, So my question would be, uh, what evidence is there to refute that the veil is outdated and backward? Uh, so it's historically not outdated and backward because it's been there since forever. I mean, there's, there's quite historical evidence about that. Um, but um, so the veil was there. I mean, Jewish women used to wear the veil as well. It, it's been there in every sort of major religion. Um, and it was al- always a means of preserving honor. So um, for Jewish women uh, in the Jewish religion, if they are not to wear the veil, then they have to wear a wig. Um, and it was also worn by mostly married women to show, you know, to represent honor, to represent respect. Uh, whenever you go to a place of worship, even today, some Christians, they would wear a veil. Um, their central figure, Mary, she wears a veil. Uh, so it's always been a form of a respect, even in Islam. Before Islam came, it was a sort of um, chaos in the society. And then women were not respected at all. They were buried alive. Um, they were treated as, you know, um, slaves and uh, they wouldn't even treat it as humans, to be honest. And after, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, came, women was, were given such a status and such a stature that um, they became, you know, um, not only equals to men, but also respectable po- uh, people of the society. And the veil gives them that sort of, you know, it's the, the again, is the thing with empowerment. Uh, it gave them a sort of um, um, a stature in the society, and it is not regressive because whenever we have seen through history that people have started, you know, uh, being more civilized, they have started to sort of dress up, dress more, and dress more uh, consequently. So veil uh, is is that you know ultimate um, stage of of civilization and is the ultimate stage of um, progress. Thank you very much. Uh, my next question, which I think you have also already answered partially, uh, is that uh, what your opinion is about the society's view of veil as an oppression? Mm, it's, it's quite subjective. I mean, um, if if somebody who is wearing the veil is telling you that I feel quite empowered by it. Uh, it cannot be otherwise. Uh, at the end, it has to uh, be a woman's choice, uh, and it has to go with uh, a certain spirituality with it. So if a woman feels that she is empowered wearing the veil, um, it cannot be oppressive. Uh, and also, if it doesn't sort of stop her from doing her daily activities and you know, be an integral part of the society, then it cannot be oppressive. It would be oppressive if, you know, she was um, taken aback. But what is oppressive, rather, is, you know, telling her that you cannot do such, such jobs because you're wearing that. That is oppressive. You Because you're stopping her from actually integrating into the society the way she wants to. 
by giving her a sort of uh, by oppressing her. You're telling her that you know, uh, if you wear that, you cannot work. So the oppression happens from the other side in that case, and in front, it's it's quite oppressive to be a Muslim woman, a veiled Muslim woman. Right. Thank. Thank you very much for Mar- for that, Mark. One last question. I just wanted to know how you, in France how do the French reconcile the way that, uh, say, the nuns uh, cover themselves uh, with uh, nun habits and the way that uh, Mother Mary is depicted, uh, well covered? How do they reconcile that kind of attire with uh, the attitude they have against uh, the veil? So they um, they would usually... So first of all, the, the number of people who are religious in France has quietly decreased significantly decreased over the past years. So there's a lot of atheism there. But if you ask them that, they would rather put that in the in the sense of like history and they would say that um, the nuns and, you know, um, uh, women who were like Mother Mary is just in, um, what do you call it, in the church. And mm-hmm. so they're not outside of it. So. The, the problem, rather, is the visibility of the Muslim veil. That it, they believe it is everywhere. So they believe it's because it's because women wear it in the public, you know, space. Um, that's why. Uh-huh. So they believe that it, it has come outside the sort of inner religious circle, and that's why they believe that it's a it's it's a problem, sort of. Right. Okay. Now, thanks very much. Thanks very much for coming on. Thanks uh, very much for lending us your expertise on this on this particular subject. Uh, very illuminating. Thank you very much. I uh, wish you all the best in the future. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Right. Um, we do have uh, uh, Deborah Latouche on hold. Uh, she is, uh, according to my uh, screen, uh, with us. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Deborah, for coming on to the show. Uh, Deborah Latouche is an established stylist, journalist, and designer who has been working in the fashion industry since graduating from London College of Fashion and following a residency at the Benetton uh, Think Tank Fabrica. Deborah honed her creative skills in Milan, working and collaborating on a range of projects before returning to her home in London. Thank you very much for coming on, Deborah. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So we're discussing this uh, initiative by British Airways that includes, among other things, uh, a, an attire that uh, covers uh, the hijab. How do you... Uh, um, I'm just asking you a general question on, uh, on uh, fashion. How do you ensure sustainability production with garments in a world, in an industry where waste is high and labour underpaid? Um, so with regards to Sabira... Um Everything is made here within the UK. Um, the fabrics that are used are end-of-life fabrics, so they are the, the remnant fabrics which are left over from high-end fashion houses and couture houses. So everything is limited edition. So we've really thought about all of that with regards to sustainability um, within the brand, and we're trying to, with every collection become more and more sustainable and kind of work towards better practice for those things. Mm. Um, one of the items I mentioned earlier that intrigued us was the inclusion of uh, hijab uh, when uh, designing uh, 
was done for British Airways. I mean, what, I mean, hijab is a dress that we would associate with modesty. I mean, what does modest fashion mean to you, and why do you choose to utilize this form, of, this form of fashion? Uh, well, as a Muslim woman, um, I, I've worked in fashion for pretty much all my kind of adult career, and I converted to Islam about. 15, 16 years ago now, mm-hmm. and I'd always found it quite difficult to find clothes which were modest, yet um, fashionable, yet my Islamic requirements. Um, so I uh, decided to start Sabira for that reason, and modesty for me, I mean, it means different things to different people, modesty. Um, for me, it means, um, you know, clothing which meets my religious requirements, it's not uh, revealing, um, and yeah, that, that's kind of what it means to me. Modesty. Also, modesty is about your behaviour and your temperament as well, mm. but in terms of clothing. Yeah. Not very much so. Anyway, uh, I've got a couple of colleagues who are itching to get their questions in, so please. Uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, good morning to you, Deborah. Um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think, uh, what do you envision for the future of the modest fashion industry? Um, it's definitely growing. It's growing every year. And, and people who are not, Muslim or Jewish or even Christian people who have no religion are actually understanding um, modesty a bit more and seeing it as an alternative to maybe the hypersexualization that you see within the fashion industry. So I think it's really important that there is that alternative to what you can get. Great. And uh, just... Last one, last question from my side, and then I'll hand the mic over to um, Imam Asan Maksudi. Also, has a question he wanted to ask you. Um, but I want to ask you: In what ways do you think that uh, modest fashion has changed over time, and what do you think are the advantages of the emergence of uh, modest fashion? Um, well, like I just mentioned, I think it's great to have an alternative to hypersexualization. It's great to have um, for also for Muslim women, obviously, it's for whoever, like my brand, Sabira, it's for whoever likes the fashion. It's not just for Muslim women, but as a Muslim woman, I'm I'm making clothing and designing the clothing from my own perspective. Um, so it is, I guess, geared towards Muslim women, but it's for everybody. Um, and I think it's, yeah, as I said, I think it's really important to have that alternative. Um, what was the first part of the question again? So uh, I asked, in what ways do you think that modest fashion has changed here? Um, I think that it's become it's becoming a lot more mainstream. So it's not something which is necessarily just for Muslim women now. Um, and I think, as I said, people are just much more aware of it um, than they used to be. Uh, and I think that's only a positive thing, you know, um, for my brand, the more people that I can get wearing modest clothing, the better, you know, regardless of religious affiliation. Thank you. Uh, good morning. So I also have a question. Um, why do you think it is important to be inclusive in terms of allowing a range of uniform types for the staff 
in a particular workplace? Um, so this is obviously geared towards British Airways, and I think that, first of all, I think it's very important that women especially, um, like if you know, you're talking about the hijab, I, I think that it's really important that women have that option, that they can choose whether or not they actually want to wear it or not. Um, I think that that's super important, and I think that it's great that um, the airline for Great Britain has actually chosen to do that. I'm not sure Air France would <laughs> um, have a hijab. Um, so I think it's really important, actually, that um, that there is a stance taken. You know, that, that you know, I think they also had the the thing for Sikh men. I think it's really important that everybody is is seen you know we're not the world is not one color one race one religion one way of thinking and i think it's really important that that's understood and that it's catered for great thanks very much deborah for coming on um uh, and uh, uh, lending us your expertise to this uh, particular issue uh, one last question uh, if i may um do you think that uh, modest fashion is catching on or what's the future look like as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I think it definitely is. I mean, it's a really, it's a massive industry. And I think that it's just growing year on year. Um, I think that, you know, if I look at Sabira, um, a, lot of my, a lot of my clients are not necessarily modest dressers, but they really love what it is that we are doing. So they are, they are, they are leaning towards that and I think as I said you know, there, there have been over the years a real hypersexualization of women and I think that it's really important for women to understand that actually you can be empowered and not reveal everything you know and actually it's probably well I feel obviously it's more empowering to not reveal so yeah I think it, it's, a, it's a movement and it's a it's a style of dress which is definitely growing Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, input. uh, And I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Right. uh, We have a few minutes, uh, Imam uh, uh, Maksud. We have a few minutes if you can have the Islamic angle to this before the 8 o'clock news. Uh, Yes. Uh, So the Islamic view on hijab. Uh, So first of all, we have to understand the whole purpose of hijab. Uh, and the purpose of hijab in Islam is primarily to inspire modesty in both men and women. And women are, of course, admonished in the Holy Quran to cover their heads and to pull their coverings over their bosoms. And uh, men are actually also instructed in the Holy Quran to do hijab, and they are instructed to lower their gazes. So the commandment of hijab uh, in the Holy Quran is uh, for women and men alike. Uh, and as it has already been mentioned by one of our guests that uh, this uh, the hijab is not something new and even uh, before Islam the previous real scriptures also contain some traces of similar teachings and Islam came only to complete and perfect them and the revealed religions teach women to be modest clothes and actions and uh, also in the Bible uh, uh, the women are commanded to uh, wear a hijab, and which is a source of modesty. 
moving on, uh, I would like to mention that uh, the 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 parda the hijab is actually a it embodies the mercy of god on women and if women in the world today can understand the real implication of the true teaching of islam regarding the veil and uh, if they know the benefits they can gain and the high stations they can attain by following these teachings uh, they will soon be wanting their freedom from the ill societies and they will be fighting for their rights to adopt the veil where they secure their true freedom and where they can find real peace and tranquility and where the honor and where their honor and dignity lies and only then they will enjoy the real bliss of being encompassed by divine protection and the mercy of their creator and the islamic veil is actually not a disgrace or a hindrance for a woman in any way um, on the contrary, it honors her and frees her from the obstacles that uh, prevent her moral and spiritual adv- advancement and thus uh, it is the means of her deliverance from the sufferings and ills uh, that she faces in modern day societies. Great, thank you so much uh, for that, uh, Imam Asr Muksud. Um, we're just going to the eight o'clock news. Um, so after the eight o'clock news, we'll be going, uh, we'll be looking deeply uh, more into the Islamic analysis of this. But uh, I think it's a great initiative that uh, British Airways has done um, to promote uh, other religions as well, um, especially you know with with the regards to the headscarf. So uh, we're just going to the news. We'll be back shortly after this you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed peace be upon you good morning welcome back to the breakfast show the voice of islam with imam tokit and me and myself will be there the time is two minutes past eight it's friday the third of february 2023 we have been discussing uh, hijab in particular the story that caught our attention was uh, concerning british airways uh, which unveils new uh, uniform uh, styles, which includes, uh, among other things, the hijab as well. So that was an interesting discussion that we were having before the uh, before the eight o'clock news with Maruch uh, Tayeb and also fashion designer Deborah Latouche. Uh, and here, uh, that uh, I suppose covers this topic. Also, is a clip uh, that we want to share. It explains what hijab is and uh, hijab. Uh, in general. And one of the biggest ways how men have changed the outlook of women in society is by objectifying women in media. And this has been explained by, uh, in a theory called the male gaze theory by uh, Laura Mulvey. And the male gaze is the act of uh, depicting women in visual arts and literature from a male perspective. One is producer, man. Uh, behind the camera producing the piece. Even nowadays when we have women producing or camera women, they are actually keeping the perspective of man in mind and then producing the piece. And then the second is the male characters within the film or the piece they're producing. And the third is uh, male viewing and gazing at, uh, at the images. So all of this is being produced from a male's perspective, um, how man wants to see women, not how a woman wants to be seen. Um, 
and the the psychology of uh, male gaze is the same as the psychology of sarcopophilia, uh, which is act, looking at images to arouse oneself. Um, objecting five women, uh, Hanan Saib has been taken to next level uh, in commercial, in ads and advertisement. Um, we have seen time and again uh, women with very little dress in in uh, sports car ads or uh, burger ads. I mean, Super Bowl ads. We time and again we talk about it. There is all this backlash on uh, how it is inappropriate. It's not uh, we not be able to see in family gatherings. So naturally men are attracted to women and they they come up with different ways and mean to objectify women and the holy quran also speaks of this the psychology of man says and it keeps on going the beautified for men is the love of desired thing and the number one on this list is women uh, so uh, that's why men come up with different ways and means to sort of objectify women to ex exploit women and the, and the male gaze theory is one of the aspects of looking at this question. Uh, going back to your question, the uh, Holy Quran, we believe the teaching of Islam, they are um, for everyone, for all times to come. And the Holy Quran spoke about this 1400 years back and, and commanded Muslim men that that tell them believing men that you should restrain your eyes and guard their private parts and that is purer for them. So the whole idea behind this is to, is to be respectful towards women, lower our gaze and our eyes and restrain our eyes and protect them ourselves from immorality and impurity. Now we asked uh, some members of our community, um, is the hijab a sign of oppression and submission? Are Muslim women forced to wear the hijab or is it something of their own free will and their choice? Let's uh, listen to what they had to say. What you have to understand is that when a woman decides to wear the hijab or to, do, uh, to wear the veil and be modest, it is a commitment between herself and God. There's no one else who is allowed to force her to do it or force her to remove it. So that was a uh, small uh, clip from the MTA program, Beacon of Truth, uh, Canada edition, and a uh, beautiful answer that uh, Imam Mthiaz gave to that question. Um, and, uh, you know, as we are discussing uh, this topic, uh, Brother Lee, that, you know, I, I, I definitely really enjoyed the initiative or, uh, you know, you have to applaud the initiative from British Airways that, mm. you know, they regularizing uh, even uniform, not just a regular uniform for normal workers, but even um, a Muslim woman who has to strictly abide by, uh, you know, covering herself, having the veil on that modesty and for a business to promote that um, it's very good and it shows they are very accepting of uh, other religions within the society and you know as we had Deborah on as what she was saying that maybe uh, Air France <laughs> will not be <laughs> adopting no. this no. Um, uh, but uh, yes. definitely I think it's a definitely really good uh, initiative mm -hmm. um, so when, when we're, uh, anything you wanted to... No, I just want to say, I think it's a reflection also of uh, the uh, tolerance that this country shows. And I think we should uh, acknowledge and appreciate that, that uh, 
the country is, uh, the nation is very, very accommodating. Mm. We may have, you know, a lot of uh, complaints about uh, little things, mm. this and that. But in this respect, when it comes to the expression of religious values, mm. Mm. it is very accommodating. And we must remember that um, when the founder of the Amdhamasin community praised the British, it was because of uh, their tolerant attitude and the fact that they were the ones that were governing a nation that promoted tolerance when it came to the expression of one's faith. And that is uh, something that has run through uh, the uh, British attitude uh, in history and it remains with us today and it is something that we should uh, applaud. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful trait and characteristic, and we hope that other nations also do the same. I mean, this is a country that um, that allows us to build mosques, and we know mm. that in uh, in Switzerland and in other European mm. countries, um, even building mosques is something that yeah. uh, is is prohibited. So th- we need to value and appreciate uh, appreciate and acknowledge uh, what uh, greatness is found in this country. Absolutely, and mm. at the time, uh, you know, British India had. Uh, ruled over over India at that mm. time uh, you know it is you know we we all know from history that a lot of Muslims and dif- people of uh, different religion they they were denied uh, their their right you know mm. their right to pray their, their right to call for the yes. azan yes. Um, and it was only after the British when mm. they they came and they ruled over India that mm. you know they they completely abolished all these old customs and mm. then they said that you know you're free to free to call the prayer and you know you're free mm. to practice your religion as you may. Um, so I just remembered when you were mentioning hmm. the, the promised Messiah, this, yeah. this reference as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the um, Islamic veil, uh, looking at uh, looking at it, we we see that the the veil, the parda, um, and modesty has always been the teaching of each religion in each age. So not just. Um, Islam, which promotes modesty and the parda, uh, the veil, but also other religions too. Uh, every religion has taught that. I mean, we f- look at the, for example, the Quranic reference uh, where it mentions of two women of the Mosaic time who stood to one side and they did not take their animals to drink water. Um, and why did they do this? They did this out of modesty, uh, and in that way, uh, they would give. They they would go forward when the men would be done. So men were using the the water, uh, the water to drink, or maybe to use it for their animals. So it, it is very well recorded that two women of the mosaic time, they stood to one side and they waited for for the men to finish. So they could go after why did they do this it was a sign of modesty um, and also if we look at christianity for example christian women uh, they also used to i mean some still do uh, but also in the early days uh, it is well noted that they used to cover up and they wore modest clothes the bible mentions the parda the will in many places and you know, if we look at the society now and, and we see that, uh, you know, so a lot of the clothes or the fashion is completely uh, Im- immodest. Um, and this is something which is very far from what religion teaches. Uh, for example, if 
when I mean we are talking about Christianity, uh, and I mentioned uh, I I have mentioned this um, quote a few times as well. If we look at the Abrahamic faith, if we look at Genesis chapter twenty four verse sixty two to sixty five, and I'll read these out to you. So it says here, um, now Isaac had come to Beraloharoi, uh, for he was living in Negev. He went out to the fields one evening to meditate, and he looked up and he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac, and she got up, got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is the man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Now note how the veil is used in this verse. And it clearly says that she covered herself. Now, we all know that uh, Isaac and Rebecca, they later got married. But this incident itself is before she was married to Isaac. And through this, we find that, uh, you know, in other religion as well, they too promote uh, the covering of the veil. Also, if we look at the New Testament, women are commanded to dress modestly. If we look at First Timothy chapter two, verse nine, it says, "I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adoring themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes." Uh, also, it is noted that Mary. The mother of Jesus, she has always been depicted as wearing the veil in pictures and dressing modestly. So, from that point of view, we we say we see that Christianity also promotes modesty. Now, coming to Islam, Islam stresses the relationship between the body and the mind. In covering the body, one shields the heart from impurities, and the ultimate goal of veiling is righteousness of the heart. And the purpose of the veil in Islam is primarily to inspire modesty, both in men and women. Now, some people criticize that. Well, oh, uh, the word. Hijab has not been used in the Holy Quran. So, you know, why is this an injunction? Well, coming to this, uh, let us look at ver- chapter 24, verse 32, uh, where it says in the Holy Quran, and the translation of this verse is, and they draw their head coverings over their bosoms. So even here, the translation which has been used is head covering. Now, the word here uh, is not been, not been hijab, but the word which is used here is bihumuri henna. Now, this is a plural word, khumur, and the singular word is khimar. And the translation which has been given in Lane's lexicon it says that it's a woman's muffler or will which she covers her head and the lower part of her face, leaving exposed only the eyes and some part of the nose. So we see that the literal meaning on head covering is used in this particular word. Now, I know Imam Asan Maksud, he did mention the, the verse of uh, lowering your gaze. So I, I will not mention that uh the in another verse if we if we look at for example 
chapter 33, verse 60 of the Holy Quran. It says in the Holy Quran, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, that, O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and the women of the believers that they should pull down, they should they should pull down upon them of their outer cloaks from their heads from their heads over their faces that is more likely that they may thus be recognized and not molested and allah is most forgiving and merciful and in light of this instruction some women choose to cover their faces whereas others prefer to cover their heads only leaving their faces uncovered bare of makeup and both of both of which are valid interpretations according to various schools of islamic jurisprudence and some choose to adopt a compromise between the two by covering their faces when they apply makeup uh, there's a very beautiful quote of the promised messiah peace be upon him the founder of the Ahmadiyya muslim community on the islamic will and uh, the promised messiah peace be upon him here he looks at that uh, he he particularly mentions Europe um, and you know the how people um, are, you know it's becoming more and more apparent that people uh, are not covering themselves. So I just wanted to read that quote with the with the listeners as well as it is very re- relevant. So the promised Messiah peace be upon him he says and I quote that as in Europe people are urging for uncovering. However, most certainly it is not appropriate. This very freedom in women is the root of disobedience and indecency. Just consider the moral state of the countries that have allowed this kind of freedom. If due to their, this their freedom and uncovering their chastity and piety have increased, then we shall concede that we are in the wrong. However, the matter is clear that if man and women are young and there is freedom as well as an absence of parda, the will, how dangerous their commingling would be. It is in human nature to look uh, covetously and to be often overcome by passions of the self. If even within parda, excesses happen and disobedience and uh, indecency is committed, what would happen where there is freedom? So what a beautiful quote of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, where he explains that, well, you know, if, if, you're, if you say that uh, uh, freedom and uncovering, it will lead to more chastity and pity, um, then, you know, we, we, we shall concede that we are in the wrong. But he says that, however, on the contrary, that is not the case. That is not what we see. Um, and when you remove the when you remove that veil, the parda, we see that you know more and more acts of indecency are are seen. Now, someone might question that oh the someone who is wearing the veil it hinders them from uh, from doing their daily task or it hinders them in any way. Well, that is not the case. If we look at even at the time of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, for example. Uh, it is recorded that women at that time, even adhering to the will, they had, um, they 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 could pursue in uh, in their own uh, interest or whatever they were good at. For example, um, a lady mentioned by the name of Hazrat Khola, uh, may Allah have mercy, uh, 
may Allah have may pleased with her who set an example in the battlefield maintaining the sanctity of her parda of her will she displayed great courage and bravery and freed her imprisoned brother from the Roman army and also it is well recorded that when Medina was attacked by the disbelievers the men dug up a ditch and thus protected the town um, so the women took the responsibility of the protection of the homes when the Jews sent one of their men to spy and find out from which direction they could attack. So no men came to content uh, with this spy, but it was a woman who trashed him and tied up and threw him out. So it is also recorded regarding uh, the wife of the of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, as Hazrat Aisha, uh, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with her, that uh, he, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that whoever wished to attain knowledge on religion, in matters of religion, consult Hazrat Aisha, peace be upon her. So we see that the hijab was in no hindrance whatsoever um, in what they did. In fact, uh, they, they excelled in in various fields um in in w- various professions and this is what we see even within the community the the women uh, how even by wearing the world they are excelling within their certain fields i mean me particularly brother Valid, serving in the central Bakfino department uh we also have a magazine for the wakfat mm-hmm. um and wakfat these are the girls um, and, and just a brief introduction on Wakfino. This scheme was in, initiated in 1987 by the fourth caliph. And the whole purpose was that uh, parents dedicate their unborn child for the, for the community. Now, this, you know, if we look at this magazine, it's a, it's a um, quarterly magazine. You know, you'll read great articles of, uh, of Muslim women serving in various fields, architecture, uh, media, doctors and you know they've explained how uh, they're abiding by their veil as well they are still able to excel in all these fields so i think with that um we can co- conclude this uh, particular segment um, and i'll hand the mic over to you to uh, start us off with the second thank you very much uh, uh, for that um, nice way to end the pro- uh, end that particular part of the program um, and uh, let's move on, uh, as you mentioned, to the next item. It's about uh, mood and uh, how your mood affects the way you process language. Uh, again, something that is being picked up from a reputable source. In fact, the Science Daily website is uh, the origin of this item. And uh, the gist uh, that has been described uh, regarding this particular subject is that when people are in a negative mood, they may be uh, they may be quicker to spot inconsistencies in things they read, uh, and this is according to this uh, new study. Uh, Vicky Lai, uh, Arizona, uh, assistant professor of psychology and cognitive science, worked with collaborators in the Netherlands to explore how people's brains react to language when they are in a happy mood versus a negative mood. And um, uh, Lai said, uh, so this is the assistant professor uh, involved in the research, says that mood and language seem to be supported by different brain networks, but we have one brain and the two are processed in the same brain. So there's a lot of interaction going on. 
uh, we show that when people are in a negative mood, they are more careful and analytical. They scrutinize what's actually stated in a text, and they don't just fall back on the default world knowledge. Uh, Lai and her study uh, co-authors set out to manipulate study participants' moods by showing them clips from a sad movie, Sophie's Choice, or a funny television show, Friends. A computerized survey was used to evaluate participants' moods before and after watching the clips. Uh, while the funny clips did not impact participants' moods, the sad clips succeeded in putting participants in a more negative mood. This is what the researchers found. And the researchers also presented versions of the stories in which the critical sentences were swapped so that they did not fit the context of the story. Uh, for example, the story about driving at night would include the sentence, with the lights on, you can see less. Uh, they then looked at how the brain reacted to the inconsistencies depending on mood. And uh, they found that when participants were in a negative mood based on their survey responses, they showed a type of brain activity closely associated with reanalysis. In the meantime, Lai and her uh, colleagues say mood may affect us in more ways than we previously realized. Researcher uh, uh, Jos van Berkum of the Netherlands Utrecht University uh, co-authored the uh, study with Lai and uh, Peter Hagurt of the Max Planck Institute for Psycholinguistics in the Netherlands. Uh, when thinking about, I mean, this is a quote from Berkum, uh, he says that uh, when thinking about how mood affects them, many people just consider things like being grumpy, eating more ice cream, or at least interpreting somebody else's talk on a biased way. Uh, but there's much more, he goes on to say, going on, also in unexpected corners of our minds. Uh, that's really interesting. Imagine your laptop being more or less precise as a function of its battery level. That's unthinkable. But in human information processing, and presumably also in information processing of related species, uh, something like that seems to be going on. So that's the um, uh, gist, I suppose, is the best way of describing it, uh, of what this research has to say. I'm sure there's an Islamic angle to it. Uh, and for that, uh, we have Imam Toki telling me to enlighten us. Yes, thank you so much. Um, uh, what do you think, <laughs> Brother Brother Ali? Do you think uh, mood actually affects uh, our daily tasks? Uh, you know, if we are feeling grumpy, then uh, we'll be eating more ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be eating more ice cream anyway, uh, <laughs> grumpy or not. Uh, um, I, I, sp- I suppose mood doesn't affect. I suppose if you, if you're down, then uh, it depends what what's making you sad. If it's if it's problems that. Uh, uh, are overwhelming you, then uh, I think uh, you'd not be uh, tending to uh, analyze things more minutely. We're more worried about your problems. Mm-hmm. But um, if you just um, uh, and in uh, the same cases with uh, when you're happy, I suppose. I mean, mm-hmm. you're getting very excited. Uh, so I, I, I'm not. I'm not too sure about uh, about this study and the. But it's a scientific study. 
Brother Valid, that, you know, it's it's so beautiful that uh, whenever we go to the mosque, there's so much simplicity. Uh, you know, there's no, you won't find any pictures uh, of, uh, of a- anything. It's just uh, a very simple mosque. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got these verses of the Holy Quran um, written, written on the dome, on where the mihrab is, where the imam stands. Um, and, you know, even though we are praying together, it, everyone is just quietly listening to the recitation of the imam. Um, and in that solitude, uh, it's it's a beautiful way to remember uh, Allah Ta'ala. And certainly, you know, hearts find comfort in that in that position and and this is what the main purpose as as a mm. muslim as we find from the holy quran it says that wa that the sole purpose of man and jinn is that they may worship the lord and here uh, god almighty he's laid a beautiful injunction that you know whatever situation you are in in life you know whatever if you're going through struggles, if you're going through some difficulty, then the best way to resolve this is through his worship. As it is only Allah Ta'ala, you know, who guides uh, who guides us to the right path. He shows us the way uh, when when we are confused, when we do not find the way. So this is, this is uh, what Islam encourages, that we should remember him. We should uh, remember that zikr. Uh, so this is why our hearts will find comfort and you know anxiety is caused by the fear of impending calamity and if man believes that there is a remedy for every ailment then he will not be worried and when someone remembers Allah and realizes that with his unlimited powers he can remove all types of difficulties his heart comforts him by saying that why do I need to be concerned I have an all-powerful God and he will surely remove all my troubles. And such thoughts provide peace of mind. And Allah befriends him who spends his time in his remembrance. And he provides him a place in his audience. And even when he is still in this world, as he says uh, in chapter 20, chapter 2, verse 153, he says in, in the Holy Quran that in the name of Allah, the gracious, the Messiah, therefore, Remember me, and I will remember you, and be thankful to me, and I will not be ungrateful to you. So in this verse, we are informed that prosperity dis- depends on observing the commandments of and guidance of God. Um, and furthermore, it says in chapter 28, verse 68, that, But he who repents and believes and does righteous deeds may be, he will be among the prosperous. So the spiritual wayfarer should constantly seek forgiveness for his sins and shortcomings and perform righteous deeds in order to become a prosperous servant in the sight of God. As it says in the Holy Quran in chapter 87 verse 15 that verily he truly prospers who purifies himself. So, you know, this is the example we find in the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him as well. If, you know, uh, at that time, it is narrated very well that uh, there used to be 360 idols in the in the Kaaba. For almost, they had an idol for every single day. And uh, 
you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, God Almighty told him to spread the oneness of God in a society which was full of idol worshippers. And the struggles the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, faced, uh, you know, we are very much known to that, that 13 years of persecution he faced in Mecca. Amul Huzan, uh, which is known as the two years of grief, is when the the people, the Quraysh, the the people of Mecca, they had boycotted the Muslim for two years and uh, they were not allowed to sell them anything. And it is very own narrated that it was very hostile environment for the Muslims at that time. And it was so hostile, so much so that they had to migrate to Medina. And this this was the the situation at that time, and even when they had migrated to Medina, uh, we know that many different wars came in place. You know, the Quraysh didn't stop there. They they said that we we want to annihilate, we want to want to finish Islam, and that is why you know the various battles took place. One such battle which took place, Ghazwai Badr, uh, the Battle of Badr, where it was only three hundred and thirteen Muslims and uh, a you know against one thousand well-equipped Meccans, you know, who had who were on horses, who had good armor, um, against a, a weak uh, group of Muslims who, you know, barely had any camels. They, I think it is rec- recorded that they only had two horses. And uh, so very weak at that time. But nevertheless, it is narrated that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he never... He never turned his back on Allah the Almighty, but always uh, he, you know, spent his time in worship of Allah Taala, and it is recorded that you know he always had a smile on his face, um, and he he was the happiest man there, and reason being is because that you know he he had that connection with Allah Taala, and and this is something which uh, you know people were moved to see that you know. After so much prosecution, after so much torture, yet, you know, there is so much comfort in his face. Um, And, uh, you know, he won the hearts of the people at that time. So, in a nutshell, this is uh, what Islam teaches, that even in uh, such environment, you know, where it is difficulty and, you know, you might have difficulty in terms of maybe your work or or in an environment where it affects your mood essentially and and that then you know that would that will have an effect on your language as well so islam teaches that remember allah ta'ala, uh you know con- continuously remember him uh apart from the five daily prayers remember him on a daily basis and he will he will give you a way he will f- find a way for you um and uh, i i remember uh, there's a very beautiful uh, there's a very beautiful narration of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him uh, I remember listening to uh, this week with Hazur um, and he mentioned this to one of the questions which was asked and uh, the question from what I recall which was asked was that you know uh, if if I remember correctly that uh, you know he asked Hazur that you know why uh, why does uh, why is God not so not merciful or you know why why do we I think maybe it was on the question of suffering but the the his holiness he, he mentioned that 
you know the the holy prophet peace be upon him said that god almighty he loves you 70 more times uh than than a than a mother so he said that look this is the mercy of of god almighty that where you have how you know how mothers love us then you have the example of god almighty that he loves you 70 times more um so this this is that mercy and love from uh, allah taala so surely uh, you know if we pray to allah taala he will answer our prayers um also uh you know as as i mentioned uh from the from the writing if we look at the life of the promised messiah peace be upon him so we see the same character um and how much trust he had in allah taala and this is something which we see in the in the khulafa uh the successors of of the community as well that how much love and zeal they have uh for allah taala and complete trust in him uh any anything else uh, brother walid maybe you want to share uh with the listeners from your experience as well i mean uh, you're a very wise person um mm. uh you know i'm sure you've got many stories uh yes uh, but uh, you know the the brain doesn't tend to work so well uh, <laughs> other 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 issue that we have when we get to a little more advanced in age um so i I can't, I can't uh, for the life of me think of anything um, that is uh, worthwhile uh, in saying uh, in adding to what you said um but um I suppose um um I I don't know what the uh, role of um istighfar is repentance mm. and uh, forgiveness is but that is also something that uh, we very much uh, Uh, advice to engage in absolutely um and um it is to try and uh, uh prevent us from uh, um in addition to seeking forgiveness for what we may have done wrong in the past but also helps us uh, avoid uh, uh mistakes in the future and if we're talking about uh, wrong doing then i suppose you can also maybe link that to wrong doing in an academic sense not just in a spiritual sense uh, and to be to become more more uh, more accurate or more right in in everything that you do um so that's the only thing that i i suppose i can add but uh, nothing as far as uh, uh, my experience is concerned that's that's it uh, that's it from my side i think uh, we mm. can conclude we can conclude the sh- we want to conclude the show do you want to discuss football <laughs> hmm? but i think i yeah i mean uh, it uh, unless uh, our callers want us to continue in which case we welcome them to call in because mohammed shafiq uh, our uh, engineer is eagerly waiting to receive your calls but uh, uh, if uh, that's not the case then uh, uh, we can close this uh, this segment and we can uh, in fact uh, we can bring um, the show to an end yes and uh, so <clears throat> it leaves us uh, essentially to thank now those people who have contributed to the preparation of this particular program uh, there is uh, a list uh, first and foremost uh, we uh, need to thank uh, i feel our producer uh, sakib munir ahmed and 
uh, Barira Mansoor, so joint producers uh, in this particular uh, regard. And then um, uh, we mustn't forget the researchers that also contributed. Uh, they are Hannah Ahmed, uh, Neha Latif, and Aman Mir. So uh, those are worthy of our gratitude, as is Muhammad Shafiq, who made sure that everything in the control room uh, went smoothly. We didn't have any technical hitches. Uh, our callers were uh, tied in on time and very efficiently, so uh, very much uh, uh, thanks to him. As far as uh, what we were able to cover during this program, we covered uh, quite a lot of uh, events that were taking place around the world concerning the Ambiya Muslim community. Uh, and as uh, Imam Tawqeed we pointed out, uh, that was very much facilitated by somebody who works in uh, a newspaper of the Ambiya Muslim community. Uh, so he had uh, access to all the latest news. That was Mr. Uh, Imam Asan Maksud. So thank you to him because he was able to bring uh, a whole collection of news concerning the Ambiya Muslim community. So uh, we are grateful for that contribution. And as far as um, the topics we were able to cover, we covered uh, this uh, very uh, innovative, innovative and uh, uh, modern uh, initiative by British Airways uh, regarding their new uniform and a, a range of different uh, uh, items of clothing, including uh, hijab was something that they were uh, introducing, something that was very welcome, and we felt, uh, and it was mentioned, that that was very much in line with uh, British attitude and British uh, culture in terms of their tolerance of uh, people with uh, different views and different attitudes. And that was something that is not uh, new. It was current even during the British Raj uh, when there was an empire um, and in the in two, 200 odd years ago uh, in, and uh, during the time of the founder of the Amdi Muslim community. And it was the founder of the Amdi Muslim community who very much welcomed this stance and praised the British for it, uh, even though he wrote extensively uh, against the faith that the British uh, in the main pursued that of Christianity. But uh, he called a spade, if you, if you like, what it was, a spade a spade. Uh, in other words, what was wrong was uh, was highlighted and what was right was uh, was very much appreciated. And this was the case in, in, in this was the instance uh, regarding uh, the attitude of the British. Their faith may have been something that he disagreed upon and he spoke against it. But as far as their... Uh, attitude on civil liberties was concerned, that was very much appreciated and the, the founder of the, of the Muslim community is said to have prayed for the British, for this uh, particular uh, um, uh, quality of theirs, of that of tolerance and something that we observe even today and something that uh, we recognize is not observed unfortunately, in certain certain countries. And Maruch uh, Araf, who came on to the show, was able to highlight that by showing how uh, attitudes are different uh, in Britain as opposed to what they are on the continent, particularly in France, where there is uh, a strong 
a disenchantment, if that is the way I can put it, uh, about uh, the will and discouragement in adopting that. In fact, it's something that is uh, enshrined in law about uh, the observer, observance of the whale. So a very marked difference that we find between uh, what we have in this country and what we have on the continent. So it was an interesting discussion. We also had uh, the fashion designer, De- uh, Deborah Latouche, with us, um, and she also uh, highlighted how uh, modest fashion is something that... Uh, is very much uh, becoming increasingly popular because uh, it does not um, 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 stigmatize uh, women in the way that uh, 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 conventional modern fashion that we uh, are used to these days does. It doesn't objectify women. Uh, It uh, treats women and uh, recognizes women for what they are uh, beyond beyond uh, clothing, so uh, hijab in that respect or modest dressing in that respect is something that uh, is very much um, uh, in fashion. Something that we should expect more of in in the future, or she hopes uh, would be uh, would be more uh, popular. Uh, and I'm sure that that is with good reason because she runs. Uh, uh, a fashion outlet, from what I remember. Um, anyways, and then we looked at um, the second of our main stories. This was about uh, mood and how it affects the way you process language. Apparently, uh, if you are uh, sad, then uh, you tend to be more observant of um, of uh, defects uh, than if you're not, if I understood this properly. But uh, that was an interesting discussion. Uh, I was hoping that we would have uh, uh, our regular contributor, uh, Khalid Safir, onto the show for that because he's a happiness expert. So he's much, very much, uh, and I, I would have thought uh, would have been able to uh, mm-hmm. lend lend. Uh, his expertise on this, but um, unfortunately, we were not able to get in touch with him. Anyway, um, if you do have uh, uh, something to say, there's a few seconds still left uh, for you to be put on. The number to dial is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and uh, you can use the Twitter method of communicating by tweeting us at the Voice of Islam UK. So, uh, having uh, done. The, uh, anim- the the part where we thank those who have contributed to the show. I don't think I've left anyone. If I do have, if I have left anyone, then please uh, please forgive me. Uh, and I suppose uh, I mean, like anyway, I think we'll we'll stop it there. I was going to thank my parents, <laughs> <laughs> like, like those award ceremonies do. <laughs> And they, my they, grandparents. They, they, they're listening in, then I suppose. <laughs> and my teachers and uh, everyone, because I think they, we do have time to uh, fit those names in. But I think uh, I, rather than uh, spoil people's breakfasts and their rides to, uh, to schools or to work, then uh, we'll end it there. Do join us again from 7 to 9 on the breakfast show uh, at the Voice of Islam. Uh, and until... Then, Islam alaikum from both myself and Imam Tawqeet and me.